0: Downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Good morning, good morning. It's lovely, lovely to see you all. I hope you're all well. Thanks all. <laughs> hope you're well. Uh, this morning, um, we're going to carry on uh, the series looking at Jack's book, looking at um, your pathway to growth. Um, now, last week, Tom preached on Chapter 5, um, so in a logical progression, I going to teach on Chapter 4 this morning, so we're going to go back a chapter. I apologise to those of you who are funny about that sort of thing, but we're going we're to go back, um, because, uh, because the chapter, four, chapter 4 is about growth through teaching and training, and um, Jack sort of felt that I had a degree of professional experience in that that might, sort of might fit with me teaching this week, so that's why we're skipping back, but before we do... Um, Tom touched on this last week as well, but I think it's important to say um, as we preach through and as we, we work through this book and we work through it in Connect groups and we, we go through it in the services, um, we are not doing this series in order to promote Jack's book. We're not doing the series to promote the book. That's not what this is about at all. This is about a book that has been written to promote growth in our church. This is a book for a season, for now that as a church we are growing. And so, as we sort of preach through it and look at it and learn from it, I would encourage you all just to be taking in the lessons, to be sort of praying through it as we go, to be committing to reading it and learning those lessons, because really, as a church, we're growing. We are growing, and, and we need to be kind of equipped for that and ready for that. But both spiritually and sort of physically in number, we're growing. Um, we're going to look this morning at the, a, uh, a passage that Tom looked at last week. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open it to Matthew 19, and it will appear on the, on the screen as well. We're going to look at um, the story of the, the rich and the kingdom of God and the, the rich young man who comes to Jesus. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, "'Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life?' "'Why do you ask me about what is good?' Jesus replied." There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Father. I ask for your words, Lord, less of me and more of you. And as we learn the lessons from your word this morning, Father, I ask that you would root them deeply in our hearts, Lord, that you would teach us to be teachable. Father God, in your name we pray, Amen. Right, so that, that passage is an example of um, a young man who came to Jesus and he, he thought he wanted to be taught. As we look at sort of teaching and training, we're going to look at, in the first instance, how not to do it. Because this, this individual, this guy who comes to Jesus, um, isn't teachable. He's not teachable. And the big question as we look at how to respond to teaching, how to respond to training, is are you teachable? This guy knows, he calls Jesus teacher, he knows that he wants to learn something. He he addresses him as teacher, Um, he knows that there's something that he lacks, what do I still lack? He knows he's missing something. And he wants the answer, he wants the lesson, he wants to be taught, but he's not prepared to make a change. He's not prepared to change his life. He doesn't want to make the sacrifice of applying that knowledge. In James uh, chapter 1, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In Proverbs 10 it says, um, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. So the question this morning, and what I kind of want to spend a little bit of time looking at and, and unpicking together, is how do we heed discipline? How do we make ourselves teachable? How do we respond properly to um, instruction? How do we respond properly to training and to teaching? And um, I've come up with five, sort of five things that I want to look at. Those of you who like structure, there are five things, um, and they don't quite all begin with the same letter. I tried. There's sort of a tolerance of three alphabetically, so go with me. Um, but the, the first one of those is that we must be reflective. There it is. We must be reflective. Um, I have a son, Toby. He's, he's four next week. And, um, and I love him. And I'm going to tell you a story about him that's going to make it sound like I'm disappointed in him. I'm not. I love him very much. Um, one of his favorite things to do is uh, he loves to play the guitar. And he loves, he's been watching Tom, obviously. And we've got a, a fireplace with a little, um, I don't know, like a hearth, is it? A little bit on it and he likes to get this little guitar that I've got, it's a little proper little guitar but it's about his size and he likes to stand on the fireplace and, and he knows one song and he's known one song for about two years and that song is, is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and he knows probably all bar one line of it so he sings it wrong every single time and, um, and it just brings him so much joy but there is I think I'm safe in saying not a musical bone in his body, bless him <laughs> He has a lot of fun. He's very enthusiastic, but he just take it just shout at the top of his voice, and it's it's pretty horrendous. Um, and and I love him very very much. Um, and the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching him yammering away on this guitar, and I thought maybe I can. You know, he's a quite a quick learner. He quite he's quite curious about the world. And I said, Toby, would you like me? Do you think? Do you think you'd like me to to teach you? a little bit of guitar. Like, I reckon we could work our way around an E minor, maybe. just I teach you a little bit of guitar? And he looked at me with a quite a sort of quizzical look on his face and a little bit of concern. he said, ah, actually, Daddy, I can already do it. And uh, I didn't want to force the issue because I don't want to shatter his dreams yet. Um, so I just I let it be, and I'll try again in a, in a few months, and I'll keep going because it would be lovely if he... Got better at it. But that is an example of, of a young man who is not especially reflective. I invited him to have a think about how he might get better at something, and he was just, his worldview, I can already do it. I'm not going to think about how maybe that's being perceived. I'm not going to think about how that's coming across. I can do it. I'm happy in my little, my little way. I'm just going to carry on. Thank you. It's Psalm 119, verse 59 and 60. It says, I've considered my ways, and I've turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. So if we're going to be um, Christians who grow, if we're going to be Christians who respond to teaching, we must consider our ways. We need to think about the ways that we need to grow. We need to think about where we're falling short, where we need help, where we're weak. And it's not about condemning ourselves. It's not about living our lives as, oh, I'm terrible at this and I'm terrible at that and I just need to get better. But it's about just being aware aware of the ways in which maybe Jesus wants to do a work in our lives. Um, In in teaching, and I apologize if you kind of have been in or around education, you're going to hear some stuff this morning that you will have heard before. Um, Just go with me. But in teaching, um, pretty much day one of teacher training, um, you get told the story of Austin's butterfly. And it's a a beautiful little story. Um, And it's true. It's a true story um, about a boy called Austin who um, must have been years ago. He's probably an adult by now. But, um, but he was about six years old. He was a first grader in America, so about six years old. And he was asked to draw a picture of um, a tiger swallowtail butterfly, I think it's called. Um, and he was, asked to, he was shown a picture of it and asked to draw a sort of scientific picture. And, um, and so he got his pencil, and he had a go. And, uh, and this is what he came up with. Which is not bad. For the, for the benefit of the podcast, what we're looking at is a, is a bad picture of a butterfly. It looks like a butterfly, but it's not, sort of, it's not scientific. Now, for six, that's kind of all right. That's okay. We can, we can deal with that. Um, but the kind of school that Austin was at, he sat around with his friends, and they had a look at the picture that he was copying from, and they had a look at the one that he'd done, and they talked about where he'd maybe not quite got it bang on and they had a conversation about the shape of the wings and maybe they could be a bit more triangular and a bit more pointy perhaps and so we had another go and he came up with this which is that little bit better sort of like a thunder butterfly it's it's quite impressive um but again not quite perfect still not absolutely bang on so they had another chat about it so maybe it's too jaggedy now maybe you've you've gone a bit too far there austin maybe you want to have another go try and round it off a little bit so we had a third go and it, I don't know quite what I was thinking about there, but, but it, it, he's, he's tr- starting to tweak what he's doing. He's got the, kind of the, the right shape of the tail now. One of those wings is a bit better, but still not quite there. So he had a fourth go. And at that point, he's quite pleased with himself. So then he puts the pattern on. He has his fifth go, and he puts the pattern on, and then he colors it in. And over the course of this process of reflecting on what he's done... Looking at that first image and, and talking to people and, and thinking for himself, well, how can I make this look like that? He keeps going back, keeps trying and trying again, and gradually, bit by bit, he produces that. Now, I don't know that I could do that, never mind being a six-year-old. So that, frankly, I think is quite impressive. Um, again, for the benefit of the podcast, what we're looking at is a, a, a butterfly. It's, it's great. Um, and that's all well and good. So for education, for schools, that's, that sort of informs how we do feedback and how we sort of encourage kids to learn. But actually, in our lives as Christians, we know how we want our lives to look. We know that um, we need to conform to the image of Christ. We know that Jesus is the picture of, of how our lives should be and what we should be aspiring to. But how often do we really reflect on the difference between those two things, the bits of our lives that don't look like Jesus' life? And I wonder if sometimes um, we're kind of content with that first draft. It looks like a butterfly. It's good enough for me. Maybe we, we see that kind of final picture, the, the way that Jesus lived, and it just feels really unattainable or unrealistic. And we think, well, I can't possibly. I can't possibly get there. I can't possibly do that. So I'm just going to settle for these things that I can do. I'm just going to settle for this, this sort of approximation of my butterfly. You know, I give to charity. I say nice things to people. I pray a little bit. That's all the stuff that Jesus did. But maybe that's kind of first butterfly stuff. Maybe we're being called to push that little bit further. Maybe it's time to sort of reflect on something in our character that Jesus wants to work on. Something in our character that we want to make more like Jesus. Something in our life that we want to bring into line with the way that Jesus lived. Maybe it's that in this season right now I'm going to ask Jesus to help me to love my neighbor like he did. Maybe I'm going to ask Jesus to give me joy in my life like he had. Maybe I'm going to ask him to help me pray like he did and and really kind of expand my prayer life, but I would encourage you all to be reflecting on your lives and, and comparing that to the life of Jesus and asking him, inviting him to work on something with you, to pick a thing for a season and build it so that you're living a life in the image of Jesus. The next point is that as we do that, we need to be resilient. We need to be resilient in our response to feedback and resilient in our response to failure. Resilience, um, again, in education, in teaching, resilience is like the big buzzword at the moment. And I teach at a school um, in Blackpool where, um, due to the, you know, the nature of the, the, the students and for the backgrounds there, um, a lot of our students have, have almost no resilience at all. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see the way that they respond sometimes to, to feedback and instruction. Um, you know, there are students who... Um, who will make a mistake in their book, they'll misspell a word, and they'll rip out the page and start again because they don't want to be seen to have made a mistake. They, um, if I come at them with the purple pen of progress, they, uh, they won't let me near. They'll shut their book. No, you're not reading it, sir. You're not, you're not having a go. I'm not, I don't want really see it. Because they don't want to be shown or they don't want their, their weakness to be exposed. Um, some students just won't attempt tasks. I taught... Um, I think I can say this, I taught a lad, um, I taught him for three years, and in that time, he uh, probably produced five pages of work, because he just shut down, because he didn't want to get it wrong, and he just shut down, and there was nothing, nothing that we could do at all that would make that difference with him, and we we tried, but he didn't want to get it wrong, so he didn't want to do anything, and when in school, when we have these students who aren't making the progress that they could be making, it is usually to do with the way that they respond to the feedback, their mindset in responding to feedback. And if we want to grow, and if we want to make ourselves teachable, we have to be open to receiving feedback. And we might not like it. It doesn't always make us feel great. But we need to be open to it. Criticism, even at its most constructive, criticism can be really painful. It can feel really personal, it can expose our deepest insecurities, and it can leave you feeling a bit bruised, and it's hard. And nobody is pretending that that is a a -a laugh-a-minute thrill ride, right? It's not always fun. Winston Churchill said, Criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the human body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. And we need to allow people, for that reason, to speak into our lives. We need to be prepared to listen to what they have to say. And most importantly, we need to allow God to speak into our lives. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit in and we listen to him, he can prompt and he can reveal and he can discipline and he can bring us into line, he can let us live lives that are more like Jesus. And sometimes the the root of that um, response to, to the feedback and instruction, sometimes that's Pride. Um, and, and jack likes to talk about the kind of two kinds of kinds of pride the, the pride and inverted pride and i think tom mentioned this last week as well that um that sometimes um our pride has an impact it stops us responding properly pride says when you get that feedback pride says well you're wrong i know better than you and i'm not going to change that's that's kind of toby i can do it already you're wrong i'm better than you are inverted pride is the reverse of that inverted pride says oh you're, you're right i shouldn't have bothered i'm not I won't try again. It was silly of me to think of doing that. I, I shouldn't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, not going to, I don't seem to get it wrong, so I'm just not going to try. And both of those are bad. Both of those, I think, are recognizable in the way that we go about our lives, but, but both of those are destructive. Neither one of those wants to be seen to fail, but they respond differently. What we need to do is challenge that attitude and challenge that mindset. And again, um, in, in school, we have this, this uh, whole lot of work that we're doing on how we challenge that mindset, how we challenge that lack of resilience, that pride in, uh, in students. And and the way we're doing that is through this thing called growth mindset. And and again, it's the big kind of buzzword, the big deal in education. Uh, There was a lady called Carol Dweck who who wrote a whole lot of of social psychologist, educational psychologist lady. And and she has done a load of studies on on growth mindset and how we get students to be resilient, how we get them to um, adapt their language and their behavior to respond properly to challenge. She said in growth mindset, challenges are exciting rather than threatening. So rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to reveal my weakness, you say, wow, here's a chance to grow. We have uh, you know, things stuck all around the walls at school that say, well, I can't do it yet. And the word yet is the kind of the added bit. And it's, it's all about changing students' language so that when they see something they can't do, they don't just close themselves off and, and shut down, but they think, right, I've got a challenge here, and I'm going to meet it. This is a chance to grow. This is a way that I can improve myself. And if we're going to be teachable, maybe... We need a change of mindset. Maybe we need to um, look at that challenge of, of criticism, perhaps, sometimes, and, and decide to use it as a learning experience. Look at the challenges in front of us and decide that we're not going to be frightened to fail, but we're going to embrace the opportunity to grow. We might need to be prepared to be made uncomfortable and to be vulnerable in order to grow. So that's reflect and Be resilient. The next one, and this is where I deviate from the, uh, the alphabetical thing. We need to be patient. In, uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, we learn the story, or we, we see the story of Moses um, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And, um, and actually, I really like the way it's told in Acts, in Acts 7. Um, if you want to turn there, Acts 7, verse 23, it says When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, "'Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other?' But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, "'Who made you ruler and judge over us? "'Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday?' When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. So Moses, um, as he's growing up, he's growing up in the, sort of the, the court of the Pharaoh, and, and he, he knows that there's something in him that is, is growing into a leader. But he fled from Egypt with that not quite developed. He fled from Egypt as a rash and impulsive man. He knew that he wanted to rescue his people. He knew that, that he was, you know, God was going to use him to rescue them. But he wasn't quite there yet. He needed something else to mold him into a leader. And actually, it took 40 years of herding sheep before he'd got there. It was 40 years of patient submission before his dream was realized. It took 40 years of preparation in the wilderness to get him ready for another 40 years of preparation in the wilderness. And sometimes when we're training for something, when we're learning something, when God's got a lesson for us, it feels like a wilderness. We can be so keen sometimes to press on with our vision. I know what God's put in my heart. I know what I want to do. I know where I should be. And, and we get frustrated that God isn't doing it yet. But sometimes what we're doing now is the preparation for the, the thing that we aren't doing yet. Yet. It's the preparation for things that's coming. And through our situation now, we're being trained for what is to come. And it's not always obvious now, or it's not, or not, always, obvious, look, it's not always obvious how, excuse me, but that's okay. I sometimes imagine being Moses for that 40 years in, um, in the desert with the sheep and kind of getting married and settling down and committing to live his life where he is. And, and I don't know, we're not really told, but I, if I was Moses, I feel like maybe I'd stop thinking about my old dreams. After a few years, I'd sort of think, right, well, that's, maybe that's not coming for me. I'd stop thinking about it. And we don't know quite exactly what it was that God was doing in Moses in that period. If I had to guess, I'd imagine it would be to do with sort of humility. I suspect God wanted to break that sort of arrogance in him, that rash, um, sort of slightly impulsive behavior that he was giving him time to lay down his vision before he could pick it back up again. Maybe, I don't know. But I don't think it's a coincidence that that Moses' life can be divided into those 40-year chunks. There's 40 years in the wilderness and 40 years in the wilderness. It's clear that one leads to the other. And, And sometimes training for the task that God has in mind for us requires a little bit of time in the wilderness. The question is, and the difference is, Are we prepared to go through that wilderness? Are we prepared to go through the wilderness of training to reach the promised land? If we know what's coming, are we prepared to make the sacrifice of that wilderness time? Are we prepared to be faithful in that time? And while we're there, my next point, we need to be purposeful. In in the book, um, Jack quotes a guy called Earl Nightingale who says that if a person will spend one hour a day on the same subject for five years, that person will be an expert on that subject. So Earl Nightingale reckons it's about 1,825 hours, if my maths is right. And it probably isn't. I'm not a math teacher. Right, but 1,825 hours. Um, now, there are different theories about this, different ideas. So um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, in the 90s, suggested quite famously that it was 10,000 hours. You had to do your 10,000 hours of practice, and that would create an expert in any field at all. And there's sort of all sorts of theories in between that. Um, but the truth is, scientists and psychologists, they, they disagree over the amount of practice necessary... But they would all agree, I think, that if you're not purposeful and you're not determined in your practice, you aren't going to grow. So if we want to be teachable and if we want to grow and if we want to apply what we've been taught and not be like the rich man, we need to be purposeful about it. Psalm 1 says that a person who meditates on his law day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. So, if we want to grow in faith and become more like Jesus, are we meditating on his law day and night? Are we being purposeful about our time with Jesus? And there's this really kind of tricky um, line here because um, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace and grace alone. And at the moment that Jesus died, we were justified in that second. Once and for all, forgiven by grace. However, there is also a process. There is a process of sanctification that over a lifetime, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made more like Jesus. And that bit involves us as well. That bit involves us being open to it. That bit involves us being open to discipline and being patient and being purposeful in the practice of our faith, that day-to-day living it out as we are conformed to the image of Christ. And I'll give you an example. I have, I've played the drums now for about 22 years, which is a frighteningly long time. I feel like I'm not old enough, but alas, I am. Um, and I, it's all I've kind of ever really wanted to do. I love playing the drums. Uh, I remember being kind of maybe three and probably not unlike Toby, just bashing away at pans on the kitchen floor. Um, it's been a kind of real passion of mine. Um, and over the last 22 years, I've had periods where I've really practiced really hard. And I've also had periods where I haven't. And in the book, Jack talks about the, the guitar, but it's the same principle. When I've made the most progress, when I've, when I've seen that I've got better, that's when I have made a decision. It's when I have decided to practice. It's when I have exercised discipline, when I've invested in uh, training, or my parents on my behalf, thank you, mum and dad have invested in um, training for me. When I've turned off the TV, when I've put away distractions, when I've listened to teachers, I've watched tutorials, I've listened to experts, when I've made sure that, um, you know, I've, I've had the right equipment to hand, I've had my drumsticks ready, I've had my practice pad, I've had my drum kit all there, I've made it easy for myself to be purposeful about my practice. And I've done that a bit, but I haven't done that all the time. And as a result, I'm all right at the drums, I'm like, it's fine, I don't, I'm okay, but I'm not great. I'm not 22 years good at the drums. I'm not an expert by any stretch. If I practiced for an hour a day for the last 22 years, I'd be up to about 8,000 hours of practice. I'd be amazing. I'd be incredible at the drums. It'd be unbelievable. I'd have really grumpy neighbors, but I would be so, so good at the drums. And, and I sometimes feel like maybe I've wasted some time there. I sometimes regret a little bit not being as purposeful. And I think sometimes it can be the same in our, in our walk with Jesus. But it, coincidentally, I've also been a Christian for about 22, 23 years. And, and the story is, is much, much the same. The moments where I've grown most in my faith and in my relationship with Jesus and in, in wisdom and in maturity have been the moments where I've chosen to remove some of the barriers and get myself trained. Where I've invested, and, and sometimes that's investing time, sometimes that's investing money. Um, Sometimes it's waking up earlier than I would ever really want to. Um, sometimes it's turning off the radio or turning on a podcast or opening my Bible or just meditating in the silence. But it's deciding to remove distractions and make sure that the things we need to bring us into relationship with Jesus or deeper relationship with Jesus are there at the hand. If we're going to grow, we need to make that decision to remove the barriers, to remove those distractions and replace them with the things that enable our growth. The people, the books, the podcasts, the, the prayers, we need to seek out training, we need to challenge our thinking. The common saying is, uh, every day to school day, and I like to say it at school because it's kind of funny and ironic. Um, but the question is, when you're not literally at school, how are we? How are we walking through life with our eyes open to the, to the lessons that we can learn? How are we walking through life with open ears to what we can be learning are we seeking out the company that is going to help us to grow? We, we become like the people that we're around. so we are around the right people? Are we letting in the right words? Are we being challenged? Are we feeding ourselves sort of solid food in the week? Are we, are we going away and getting additional teaching? Are we spending additional time with God, not just coming on a Sunday and hoping that does us till the Sunday after? And my challenge to you this week is how can you be purposeful about your growth? And, and I, I'm not saying that as a set of criticism. I, I believe that we are a, a purposeful church, and I, I think that wherever we are on our journeys, wherever we are with Jesus, we can always be doing something. We can add something to that routine. We can make one change that is just going to work on an extra little bit. We can make one change that is going to add a little more purpose to our walk with Jesus. And finally, we must pass it on. Titus 2 says, In, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So as we walk through life, in everything, set an example. We are all called to be an example. And that's whether or not you have the gift of teaching. You you may have it, you may not. Um, But regardless, we're all called to be an example. And one of the best ways to grow through teaching is to pass on what you've learned, to teach what you've learned. In, in education, it's all about showing progress, and everyone wants to see, have your students made progress? In, this, you know, in the last hour, have they learned something? Have they made progress? And one of the best ways that you can get um, a child to show progress and to demonstrate what they've learned is to get them to teach it to somebody else. So get them to explain an idea or explain a thought or get them to coach a partner on something or, or get them to sort of stand up and deliver an idea to the class on what they've learned. And, and also one of the best ways that I learn when I learn most, I learn through teaching. Um, when I'm teaching, and, and hopefully more often than not, when I'm preparing to teach before the actual lesson, um, the, the things that I do know are cemented, and, and they're kind of consolidated in my mind, and the stuff that I don't know is exposed. There's very little worse than being in front of a class full of children when I'm asking you a question, and you're preparing to teach it, and you think, oh, dear. I will gloss over that, I don't know. But, the, but you realize in that moment what you've understood and what you haven't, and as you pass on that information... The stuff that's good, the stuff that is sort of sunk in, is, is deeper-rooted. And you'll also have revealed to you the extra bits, those extra steps you can take, the extra things you can do, the extra lessons that you have to learn as well. But when you've learned a lesson, when you've grown an area, pass it on. Let others benefit from that wisdom. And, and maybe there's sort of someone obvious, and maybe if you've got children, it kind of looks after itself, like they're your, they're your people, they're your ones to teach. But maybe this is a time for you to invest in somebody else, to encourage somebody else, to share your testimony with somebody else, to let them learn from your experiences, let them learn from the lessons that you've learned. Again, in the book, T.D. Jakes is quoted, and he says, the world is a university, and everyone in it is a teacher. Make sure when you wake up in the morning, you go to school. And that, that works both ways. We need to be prepared to learn, but we also need to be prepared to teach. And I want to invite Theo back up, but um, as, we, as we kind of draw to a close, um, I just want us thinking back through those principles, the need to, to be reflective, the need to be resilient, to be patient, to be purposeful, to pass on what we've, what we've learned. And, uh, and maybe one of those things that stands out to you, maybe one of those things is a sticking point for you. Maybe you're, you're frightened of really reflecting on your own life. Maybe you're scared of, of what it is that God might highlight. And to you, I would say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But this morning, invite God to point out an area where maybe you need some teaching. Maybe you're open to growth. Maybe the next thing for you is resilience. Is it's overcoming the pride or the inverted pride and embracing your failures and embracing those challenges as an opportunity to grow, moving beyond your past and learning the lessons from it. Maybe you identify with Moses. Maybe you're, you're in the wilderness and you feel forgotten. You had dreams. You have desires. You have things you want to grow into. But at the moment, you just feel a bit overlooked. The word for you this morning is that you are not forgotten. That God sees you in the wilderness. Be patient. Be purposeful in your wilderness and learn the lessons that are preparing you for what is to come. Lord Jesus, we just submit to you this morning. Thank you that that every day is a school day, Lord, that every day there is a new lesson for us, that every day you want to draw us closer into your presence and make us live lives or help us to live lives that are more like yours, that you're drawing us closer into your likeness. And Jesus, I ask for those people who, who just need to know that you are still um, teaching them, that you're still there. Those people who feel like they're in the wilderness, Lord, I just ask for encouragement this morning, that they would be faithful, that they'd be purposeful in this time. For those people, Lord, who, who maybe just need to, to open themselves up to you, that there's an area of their life that they're not, they almost know it in their heart, that they don't want to think about, they don't want to reflect on. Lord, I just ask that you would soften hearts this morning that you would just gently, lovingly put a finger on that thing, that area that you want to deal with this morning, that you want to bring into your likeness, that thing that you want to redeem. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that as we as we learn as a church, as we go through this, this book and we get deeper into your word, Father, I just ask that those lessons would take root. That we wouldn't be like that that rich man who who gets the answer and he goes away sad. But instead, Father, I ask that you would raise a church who hears the truth, that learns the lesson and acts on it. That we do what we are asked to do. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.